everyone. You're listening to The Stars Turn, Cosmos and Cards. I'm your host, Jay. Thank you so much for being here with me. It's, as always, an honor to be in your little ear holes, filling up your brain with astro goodness, filling up your heart too, I hope. Gosh, these intros just get weirder and weirder every time, but that's, I, I feel like you know what you're getting at this point, right? We're on episode 18. So that's exciting. I hope Aquarius season has been good to you. It's the last Aquarius season with Saturn in the sign. And next year we're going to have Pluto in Aquarius during Aquarius season. So I think we'll definitely notice a shift between this Aquarius season and next Aquarius season. 2023 is so fascinating in general, just in terms of all the shifts that are happening and the differences between what we're getting this year versus what we're going to get next year and, you know, what we had last year and what we're going to get now this year, just because of the different planetary alignments and stuff that, you know, doesn't really move around that much. Like Pluto moving into Aquarius is a big deal. It's been in Capricorn for like 15 years. So it's pretty cool. But I guess that's a conversation maybe for 2024. Uh, If you haven't checked out my preview of the astrology of 2023, that is available right now on a little website I like to call jasminesastrology.com. Yeah, that's right. I got a website, guys, and I'm pretty pumped about it. I have officially launched my astrology business, I guess that's what it's called. I'm a business babe now. That's right. Uh, I have some consultations available on the website. I've got my blog up and running over there. I'm working on uh, getting together some, I don't really know if you'd call them workshops or webinars or just like teachings, um, but I'm putting together a video for the upcoming Saturn in Pisces transit and much more. So I'm very stoked about all of that. I hope you'll head over there. You can also sign up for a newsletter to sort of stay updated on new blog posts, um, new teachings, new new consultations. And I'm also going to send out a discount code at some point once I see that I've got like a good amount of people signed up. I'm going to send out a discount code that you can use towards anything in the shop. So exciting stuff. I hope Aquarius season has been just as exciting for you. I have also on that note, you know, it's funny we're in Aquarius season and it's kind of it's been a very technologically heavy time for me. And Aquarius, of course, is, you know, it's the Internet like. Uh, Saturn was in Aquarius 30 years ago when the internet was first really becoming a thing. So the internet has just had its Saturn return. But I also stepped away from social media for a little bit. It's been about a week now since I, you know, logged off. I deleted the app and the app I mean is Instagram. And it's been really nice. I've gotten so much done in one week and I've just felt lighter and a little bit clearer and I think now I know like it's not a thing I'm going to give up forever, but I certainly need some space from it. And it's it's been really nice to just like focus on astrology and what I can offer people through the website. And so, yeah, anyways, updates over. Really just was really excited to share that with all of you. And there will be all the links in the show notes. 
another sort of teaching that I'm going to be working on is a more in-depth working around the 12 houses. So you clicked this episode, you know it's about houses. And so this is going to be a sort of preview of that video that I'm putting together, which will be available in a couple of weeks time. Another great reason to sign up for the newsletter is you'll be the first to find out about when that class drops. So that's enough about me. Let's get into astrology. Before we dive into the meanings of each of the 12 houses, let's just start with what even are the houses. I think this is one of the concepts within astrology when people are first getting into it, and I'm just speaking from personal experience, this is one of the things that trips people up because you have these kind of three core elements, let's say, to an astrology chart. You have the planets, the zodiac signs, and the houses. Those three things make up a chart. And I think everybody has, you know, you can say like, oh, sure, like Mercury is a planet or yeah, I know the zodiac signs. There's like Leo and Gemini and Scorpio, right? But the houses, like I don't really know what, like what is that? What's the houses? Well, the houses are or they represent the areas of life and the relationships in life the topics, the situations where the planetary energies are playing out. So we can talk about, let's say your sun sign is Virgo. And so that is going to mean a certain set of things, but then you can really personalize and get, you know, even more layered and complex when you say, my son is in Virgo in the 10th house, the 10th house being a place of career, right? Or my son is in Virgo in the 7th house, a place of relationships and marriage. So if we look at the planets as being the kind of activity in the chart, activity in the life, the zodiac signs are the kind of lenses, the different flavors that the planets are kind of expressing themselves through. And then the houses are the areas of life in which these things are playing out. And if you imagine that the houses are just a division of our sky, look up into the sky and imagine a big celestial pizza with 12 slices and each slice represents a house. Now, there are different house division types, styles, methods. The one that I use is called whole sign houses, and this means that every house in the chart, so every piece of celestial pizza, corresponds, matches up with one zodiac sign. So if your first house Scorpio, your second house is Sagittarius, your third house is Capricorn, your fourth house is Aquarius, so on and so forth. There are other styles of this house division where the houses will be larger or smaller than those 30 degrees that the zodiac sign is made up of. So you'll sometimes see that 
Scorpio could be the first house, but it could also be the 12th house at the same time. I'm not going to go too much further down that road because we are focusing on whole sign houses today, but just in case you have seen those different styles where one house is not equal to one sign, that's what you're looking at, but we're going to use those whole sign houses here. And you've probably heard me, you know, be a fangirl or be a stan for whole sign houses before because once I started looking at charts with that house division system, astrology really came alive for me. Like it just unlocked itself. It made sense. It all clicked into place. So I'm always going to be a big proponent, a big fan of the whole sign house system. I think that it is the simplest setup that allows for the most then, you know, layered and complex exploration of a chart. The entryway, the access point for understanding whole sign houses is so easy, I think, you know, once you really look at a chart and really visualize what I'm saying. And then from there, you can go so far. The houses really are the framework for a chart. And every chart will have those 12 houses. And they're all going to mean the same thing for everyone. So everyone's fourth house is always going to have something to do with your parents, your family, your living situation. It might say something about your childhood. Everybody's 10th house is going to say something about their career or their public life. But where it gets personalized and where it gets that individualization is because not everybody's fourth house will be Aquarius like mine. You know, some people will have a Scorpio fourth house or a Cancer fourth house. And not everybody's 10th house will be a Leo 10th house. Some people will have a Taurus 10th house. So even though the houses themselves have the same meanings in much different ways, lay out in much different ways for every single person. And then even if you and I have the same house set up, so we each have Scorpio in the first house, Sagittarius in the second house, Capricorn in the third house, so on and so forth, our planets are going to be in different places. So it's still going to come out very differently for each of us, even though we'll have something in common by having that same sort of house set up. But even still, let's say that you and I both have Scorpio in that first house, and we're also both Scorpio suns. So we were born during Scorpio season, which places the sun in Scorpio in that first house. Well, then we would look to see, okay, Mars is the planetary ruler of Scorpio. And even though both you and I have that Scorpio rising, that Scorpio sun in the first house, you might have Mars in the seventh house, and I might have Mars in the twelfth house. So the different positions of that ruling planet are going to flavor and impact how our first house looks, feels, operates, etc. Now, birth time is very important to understand your houses, to create that full natal chart, because when you know your birth time, that helps you to determine 
where your ascendant degree is. The ascendant degree is fully tied into that time of birth. The degree changes like every couple of minutes. The And so the rising sign, if you hear me say rising sign and ascendant, those are the same thing. The rising sign changes every few hours. So even if you, you know, let's go back to that example. We, You and I are both born during Scorpio season, but, and we could be born on the same day, but at different times throughout the day. And so we're going to have a completely different makeup of our natal chart. Okay. So hopefully that didn't get too into the weeds, too technical. Again, this is just meant to be a very basic overview of each of the houses, but I'm hoping that this is a good found out there that listens to the show, out there that listens to the show. And, you know, you'll hear me go on about like, you know, we're having a new moon in cancer. So make sure you check to see what house cancer is ruling over because that's going to be where that new moon is sort of highlighting topics and relationships for you. And maybe some of you are like, uh, what are you talking about, Jay? Like, what do you mean my cancer house? So Hopefully this will act as a good entry point. And then if you're interested in diving deeper, like I said, I'm going to have a teaching on this in the next coming weeks. Or, you know, there's lots of astrologers out there that have really great information on the houses if you want to dive deeper. But again, hopefully this is just a really helpful foundation. All right, let's dive into the first house. So as I've mentioned, this is where you will always find the degree of your ascendant. And so that's why that birth time is so important because that birth time tells you that degree and then that creates your first house and then that determines what the rest of the 11 houses will be. And this is sort of an aside, but we put a lot of emphasis on the sun sign as being a kind of representation of ourselves and it is definitely to an extent, but the sun speaks more to where we really shine and where we put a certain sense of importance or meaning in our lives, which is part of us, right? And it is important, but the ascendant is everything. It is an integral piece of the chart for reasons I've already explained. And you just, you cannot do natal astrology really without it. You you can't do it fully, I should say. And if you don't know your birth time, there are a lot of astrologers who will do a service called rectification and they'll work with you kind of um, reverse engineering almost like going through things about you and your life to try and create a picture of the time or of your chart and therefore determine what time you were born. So maybe I'll link some some people that offer rectification as a consultation to help you figure it out. So that ascendant degree is this point where you can say heaven meets earth. Because it is, it is the beginning. That time that you were born is the beginning of you, right? It's the beginning of life. It's the beginning of you. So it straddles this sort of spiritual and physical worlds in a way. And it speaks to both our mind and our body as well as our very essence. The ascendant, the first house, is how we meet the world, how we show up, how we approach everything. The Ascendant, the first house is you, like capital letters Y-O-U. It is you. It's your physical appearance. It's your vitality. And all of this will be altered by the placement and condition of the planet ruling your Ascendant. So again, to go back 
to the Scorpio example, wherever Mars is for a Scorpio rising is going to then say something about the quality of that ascendant. Let's say you're a Pisces rising, then the placement of Jupiter in the chart is going to then have a layer to add to what the ascendant is speaking to. But the first house is the most important house. It has global importance on the chart. Planets in the first house are very active and are very central to the life story. Planets that are transiting through this house will produce manifestations that affect you or your body directly. Okay? First house, super important. The most important house in the entire chart. And yes, there is a ranking of the houses, which is sort of debatable. People, I think, go back and forth on a couple of the rankings, but everyone agrees. First house, most important. All right. So the second house, this is one of the more difficult houses. Um, This one falls in like the bottom four. And that's because of something called its aversion to the rising sign. So the first house and the second house can't see each other. So there's kind of a lack of communication between the two houses. And so it becomes a bit of a difficult house for that reason. But the second house represents things like livelihood, possessions, material things, finances, income, money, purchases, spending habits, cash flow, income. It speaks to how you earn, spend, and save money and your general relationship and attitudes towards cash flow. Food would also fit in the second house because it is kind of the most basic possession, which supports your body and well-being. And even though the first house and second house can't see each other, the second house is supportive of the first house. And this has to do with what's called primary motion. And that's the way that the planets move throughout the sky uh, through this celestial pizza. So planets that are in the second house are rising up towards the first house. And so it's supportive in that way. Anyways, you can think of this as like, you know, the first house, we're born, we come into the world. And then the second house is like, well, we need to be clothed and fed and provided with basic necessities. And as we grow up, you know, and even as we're, even when we're young and we don't even really realize it, you know, unfortunately money is a necessity. It's a kind of a big necessity. So that's the second house. So the third house, uh, In more modern astrology, this place often gets associated with Mercury. And if you know anything about Mercury as a planet, you may notice some similarities between the third house and Mercury. But the significations for the third house, a lot of them are actually derived from the fact that this is a house where the moon finds its joy. Uh, That just means it's there's this uh, ancient concept of planetary joys. And so there, it said, you know, all of the traditional seven planets have a house where they are the happiest. And so for the moon, she's the happiest in the third house. And in ancient astrology, the moon and Mercury did have a lot of overlapping significations. So third house can speak to siblings and sibling-like relationships short distance travel and um, sort of your regular trips. So like your daily commute to work or the walk that you take every day, sort of your daily mobility. It speaks to our neighborhood and the people that we see on a day-to-day basis. 
And that feels a little bit varied, but what it's really getting at is the things that we are what it's really getting at is our daily rhythms and routines, the things that we do on a daily basis, our regular environment, the habitual conversations and the people that we have them with. And so social media would fall in the third house probably because it is a thing that most people do every day. Uh, The third house is kind of communications in general. And then we also will find things like primary education. So the kind of education that is basic and fundamental. All right. So the fourth house, this is all about our parents, home, family, private life, land and property, living arrangements, heritage, ancestry. It's kind of the roots of a tree. It's our foundations. It speaks to our childhood experiences. And it is at the very bottom of the chart. The concepts and and the sort of meanings behind the houses really do have a lot to do with that primary motion and moving in a clockwise direction following the sun's path. So technically, when the sun is in the fourth house, it would be the time of day when, well, it's actually not day. The sun is underneath the horizon. It is nighttime. And from that understanding, we can then see how the fourth house might represent a more private side of life, a kind of a hidden place in life. But it's a hidden place to others and not to us because the fourth house and the first house, remember the first house, us, the first house and the fourth house can see each other. So this is a hidden part of the chart, but it's it's a it's our place to like stash our secrets and our secret things. It's, you know, ancient family secrets or not even ancient, but just family secrets. And in this way, uh, speaking about the sun sort of being underneath the horizon and like the sun has gone to sleep for the day, it can somewhat speak to death as well. If we think about that cycle of the sun and, and the sun being at its, you know, death point for the day, let's say. Now, if you've ever looked at a chart and you've seen something that says, I see, it's a degree on your chart. And in different house systems, it often creates the uh, what's known as the cusp of the fourth house. So it will create the beginning of the fourth house. Now, in whole sign houses, the IC can be found within the fourth house, but it can also be found in the second, third, fifth, and sixth houses. It really depends on where you were born and you know, how far away from the equator essentially you were born will make a difference to where your IC falls. And the IC is just a, it's just a degree. So it's not a planet or anything. It's just a degree in the chart. And it shows the very bottom, like the very, very bottom of your chart is that IC degree. And so essentially, if you are not seeing it in your fourth house, if it's somewhere else, all you really need to know is that wherever the IC is, it imports fourth house topics into that house. So if you see it in your third house, you're going to know that your third house also has something to do with your fourth house. Uh, If you have the IC in the fifth house, your fifth house will have a connection to the fourth house. All right, and on to the fifth house. This is a very nice place. Love the fifth house. It's very supportive of the ascendant and therefore very supportive of life. And this is where Venus finds her joy. And it's often called the house of good fortune. And it is representative of good things that result from or have to do with the physical body. So pleasure, sex, 
romance, joy, laughter, fun, play. Fifth house is great, right? It's a very generative house. It's the place of creation. And that could be children. Children absolutely fall within the fifth house. But for those of us that don't have children, it's also the things that we create. It's our creative process. It's, you know, it's any way in which we leave a legacy, right? Like we create these things that go on and have their own lives, such as children, or we create a podcast that then has its own life for other people. Now, the fifth house can also speak to fertility, though it's not the only indicator. And the great thing about the fifth house, not that, you know, I mean, it's already so great, but so benefic planets, Venus and Jupiter, actually become more benefic in the fifth house. And then our malefic planets, Mars and Saturn, become less malefic. Planets and placements in general in the fifth house just have an easier time expressing their softer, nicer sides. So fifth house, great place. The sixth house, on the other hand, is the place of bad fortune. It is difficult things that result from or have to do with the body, like illness and injury, And we can't hate on the sixth house. Like, this is part of life. You know, we have to have good parts of the chart and bad parts of the chart because that is the complexity of life, right? So why is it a difficult house? Well, it is also in aversion to the ascendant and therefore not supportive of life. However, it does form what's known as a trine to the 10th house. And the 10th house is a very important house that we will obviously get to when we get to it. But because it forms this really beneficial aspect with that house, it that is sort of like a mitigating, a slightly mitigating factor. So it's not the most difficult house, but we'll get there. But planets in the sixth house do have to work harder to keep up. It's kind of like they're treading water. And it's a place that does symbolize things like illness, injuries, sickness, and health. It's where we see the more physical ailments of life. So The things you can see, like a broken bone or a scar or a burn. It's also the house of people and things that work against you. And this is where things get wild with the sixth house. It also represents employees, small animals, and pets. It's kind of like all the stuff that we have to manage so that we can stay afloat. And I guess at this point, I'll say it's important to understand that not every house is about us. Like, it's not all about you, okay? Like, everything in life isn't fully about us. You know, we have our place. We have the ascendant and we have the first house, right? Not not the ascendant and the first house. We have the first house, the ascendant. Now, outside the chart, we have our physical body. We have our mind, right? So we have our stuff. And then we have all of the stuff that's around us that, you know, indirectly affects us and we live in those spaces and they absolutely make impacts on us but we have to have houses that represent things that are in that external external world like parents siblings partnerships schooling faith physical ailments so an example would be like a sixth house transit might be actually something that's happening to your pet, which again is indirectly happening to you, but it's not you. Anyways, bit of a tangent, but hopefully that helps to explain why some houses feel like they have just like these seemingly disparate topics, but they all really do fit within a piece. 
All right. Well, we're halfway through and we're moving into the seventh house. Now, this is the other side of the chart, right? Like it's directly across the sky on that celestial pizza from the first house. And so if the first house is all about you, then the seventh house makes sense that that's where we find the other. And the very specific other in terms of our most important relationships, our partnerships, our marriages, our one-on-one type of work and relationships. Now, relationships appear in a few houses, as we've kind of already seen, like your relationships with your siblings or with your parents or children. But the seventh house relationships have a certain level of intimacy. They are our very, very close bonds. Now, like the first house, the seventh house sits on the horizon line, which does bring together the more spiritual and physical realms. And just as the horizon line becomes blurry as like, you know, the sun is rising or the sun is setting, so too can relationships be seen as this blurring between self and other. Now, sometimes the seventh house can speak to things like open enemies, right? Like it is people that we can see, the first house and the seventh house can see each other. They are in opposition. So it's people we know that are working against us, right? Instead of um, in the sixth house, sometimes that's people that we don't really realize are working against us because we can't really see them. They're not within our field of vision. And so the people in the seventh house, open enemies, like this is sometimes people that like I, I see that interaction as that classic thing on a sitcom of like the will they, won't they, and they bicker and they fight and they have that like interesting chemistry. They're, you know, they're so opposites, but it's that opposite attract kind of thing. Not all enemies are going to turn into like, you know, the love of your life or whatever, but it has that kind of energy. So kind of a fairly quote unquote basic house in terms of significations. It's like really those partnerships, those, um, those really one-on-one bonds. Then we move into the eighth house, and this is another one of the difficult houses. And once again, it's because of that lack of configuration, a lack of sight to the first house and the ascendant degree. And it's a house that represents things like death and inheritances. Uh, And inheritances can mean money, right? Property, but it can also refer to illnesses or anxieties or fears. It's also a house of shared resources and the assets of others. This can include things like taxes, loans, debts, joint bank accounts. And to help you kind of contextualize that, hopefully this doesn't get too technical, but it's the assets of the other person because it's the second house from the seventh. So if we rewind to first house, second house, we have you in the first house. And then we have money and possessions in that second house. So when we go back to the other side of the chart, when we go, let's say we, you know, imagined that the seventh house is the first house for the other person, then our eighth house would be their second house and would represent those finances, those possessions. Hopefully that makes sense. Definitely be easier to explain in a video when I can draw these things out on a chart for you. So it's also a house of taboo subjects, which sort of changes over time depending on what's culturally taboo, right? And 
This, I think, is perhaps where the more modern associations with the eighth house and sex might come from. There are other reasons, but, you know, we're a pretty prudish society overall. Of course, not all of us, but I think for a long time, sex was fairly taboo and probably still is in a lot of circles, right? So could be a reason why it's sometimes found there. But for me, sex is definitely a fifth house thing. There's some ways it could maybe show up in the eighth, but to just keep it simple for today, sex belongs in the fifth. Now, there's an element of things being hidden in the eighth house. Again, the ascendant can't see it. It's kind of a place of our subconscious. It might even be a place where we find things that we've repressed. The eighth house is one of the most misunderstood and honestly one of the most interesting houses for me. So I'll have lots more to say about this in the forthcoming video. So the ninth house, this is known as the place of God. This is where the sun finds its joy. And it's where we find things like religion and spirituality, belief and faith. It's things that expand our worldview and our consciousness and a house of sort of foreign subjects in general. So long distance travel and higher education and we can put that in opposition with the third house because the third and the ninth house are in that oppositional relationship. And so where we saw the more short distance travel in the third house and the, the more fundamental basic education in the third house, in the ninth, we see, you know, the big trips overseas or we see choosing to go to university and get a higher education in that way. The ninth house is also where we'll find astrology and tarot and divination. And to an extent, they also kind of live in the eighth house. But, you know, again, to keep it simple, we're going to put them in the ninth house for today. The ninth house is also a place of publishing, like writing a novel or something that takes a certain amount of time or effort. Uh, contrast, again, that with the third house where we'd find, you know, communication, but more things like writing a daily blog or posting on social media every day. But the ninth house is like those things that you can only do like once a year or whatever. And something I left out of the third house actually is this idea of it being a place of mundane magic. So finding magic in the everyday, the routine, the rhythm, the ritual. Whereas the ninth house uh, has this idea of the big moments of magic. So these like profound spiritual moments in life. So I don't know, maybe it's like you see the mountains for the first time or something, or you, you know, s swim in the ocean or you have this big, you, you do this big ritual and you have this huge moment with the divine or, or whatever it might be, but it's not the type of magic that we feel on a daily basis or even a weekly basis. It's, it's those big, big moments. All right, so the 10th house, I already kind of mentioned that this is a very important place. And in fact, it's secondary in importance only to the first house. So first house is, you know, the big guns, 10th house, second big guns, I don't know. But the 10th house is the most visible place in the chart, right? Contrast that with the fourth house, which was where the sun had fully set. The sun had gone to sleep for the day and it was much more about your private life, the 10th house, the sun is all the way up in the middle of the sky, 
Everything is bright. It's very, very visible. And it's a very powerful place for planets to be, whether it's in your natal chart or they're transiting through. They become highly active. They become kind of loud, like their expressions are definitely made known. And um, it, in this way, it can speak to like the action that we take in the world. And it speaks to your reputation, your public and your visible life. And a lot of times that part of our lives is centered around our career. Again, we can contrast that with the fourth house, which being your home and your family life is typically more private. Of course, that's going to be different for different people, but usually our careers are much more public than our family life. So it's kind of this house of like, how do people know you? What do they know you for? What's your occupation? Like, what are you, you know, like occupied with in the world? And just like we talked about the IC degree with the fourth house, this is where a lot of times you will find what's known as the midheaven degree or the MC degree. But again, in whole sign houses, the MC can be found anywhere at the top part of the chart. So 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th houses. More commonly, you're going to find it in the 9th, 10th, or 11th houses. And again, just like we talked about with the IC, wherever you do find that midheaven degree, you'll know that it is importing 10th house topics into that house. So a very quick example, if you had the MC degree in the 9th house, you might be looking at a person's chart that is a university teacher because their profession has something to do with that higher education, sort of mixing the topics of the ninth and the 10th house. All right, so now we're at the 11th house. This is another really nice house. It's the place of good spirit. It's a very supportive place because, first of all, it's rising towards the 10th house. So it's very supportive of that public life. But it's also making a sextile with the ascendant. And a sextile is a very beneficial, encouraging, and supportive type of aspect. So it is, you know, helping both of the most important houses. So it becomes this place of good spirit. And this is a house of friends, yes, but I like to think of it as where we find community in a kind of larger sense as well. Like those who are of like mind. It's our groups and our networks and our alliances and our friendships. But it's not the people that we bond with because, you know, we all live in the same neighborhood or whatever. That might be in your third house. These are the people that we connect with over a shared interest. And speaks to some sort of bigger meaning in our lives. And, you know, you might belong to a kind of group where everybody really likes this one thing. I don't know. Let's say you're in a, like, Twin Peaks group. So everybody loves Twin Peaks. You're not necessarily going to love everybody in that group, but there's a feeling that you get when you're joined with those people that have that very same shared interest as you. I think that's where the 11th house really sparks alive is within that realm. And it also it's also a house that speaks to the resources from those connections. So like our social resources. I think it also speaks to audience. 
So all of you lovely folks, I think, fall into my 11th house. And again, you know, all the people that I've connected with and formed bonds with over my shared love of Twin Peaks or my shared love of or our shared love of astrology, things like that. That's 11th house. Conferences and conventions for, I'm just going to keep going with this, but astrology, Twin Peaks, that's an 11th house type of activity. It's also a place of hopes and wishes, which I just think is so cute. It's just like this aspirational reaching for the sky, of course, because the 11th house is reaching for that 10th house, for that you know, highest point in the sky. It's just a real, it's a good spirit. It's the the place of good spirit. It's just a very lovely place. But then of course, to contrast that, we move into the 12th house called the place of bad spirit. And this is the most difficult house in the chart. It makes no aspect with the ascendant and it does make an aspect with the 10th house, but it's in what's known as the inferior position. So it's actually not as helpful. Like the 10th house is sort of overcoming the 12th house. So it doesn't have a lot of strength in that way. And we can't, you know, we can't rag on the 12th house for being where it is. It didn't choose to be the 12th house. It just is the 12th house. It's another one of my more favored houses. You know, like, obviously, I love the vibe in the 11th and the 5th house. Like, who wouldn't? But the 8th and the 12th houses are so often maligned and misunderstood. And I think that when we can you know, learn them a little bit better and learn to work with them, especially if you have a lot of planets, you know, in the eighth or the 12th houses, like it's really important to get to know it and learn how to work with it. So anyways, 12th house is a place of isolation, seclusion, sickness. It does represent places like hospitals and prisons. It's also a house of retreat and solitude when we're working in private or working behind the scenes. So, you know, if you had your ascendant ruler in the 12th house, you might be a person that likes to work alone, likes to work behind the scenes. The 12th house also speaks to these themes of like surrender and spirituality, like these deeply internal shifts that can happen when you spend a lot of time in aloneness, a lot of time in quiet. And in this way, the 12th house is a very liminal space, kind of a place between worlds. And when we contrast the 12th house to the 6th house, uh, the 6th place, which contains ailments and difficulties that are physical and tangible, you know, like I said, like a you can see a cut, you can see a broken bone. The 12th house speaks to ailments that are a little more hidden. So it could be, you know, mental health struggles. It could be things like depression. Well, always a fun note to end on the 12th house. Um, Maybe in the video, I will move with the sun and I'll go from the 12th house to the first house. It, It would be backwards in a way. And I don't know if my brain could handle that, but... It might be a little lighter than ending on, uh, yeah, 12th house seclusion, uh, depression, you know, no big deal, whatever. I mean, it is a part of life, right? So it has to be represented in the chart somehow. But yeah. Anyways, I hope that this provided you with a good enough foundation to understand at least when astrologers are saying, you know, look to the house that has this going on and you'll be able to personalize it. And 
then, like I've said before, if you're feeling called to explore the houses further, you can do that with me in a couple of weeks' time when I release my teaching on the houses, which will go much more in depth than this. But for now, I have created a little graphic that has the celestial pizza pie uh, all split up and it's got some keywords for each of the houses. And so to access that, you'll just have to go and sign up for my newsletter. There's going to be a link in the show notes and you'll sign up, you'll get access to it right away. And if you are already subscribed to the newsletter, I'm going to send out a little link to it in one of the upcoming newsletters that I send out. So no worries, you will get access to it as well. But for anybody new, just come and sign up. You'll get the PDF. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you soon for our Pisces season episode. But until then, I'll catch you in the cosmos.